0: I began with an understanding or a knowing that I was suffering tremendously, that my life was not exactly as I wanted it to be.
1: Hey, everyone, welcome to Making It. This is a business podcast for creators and teachers in the wellness space. So if you are any type of fitness, yoga, movement or mindfulness coach, then this podcast is for you because you'll learn how to grow your business online from some of the best influencers, marketers, and entrepreneurs in this space. My name is Andy, I'm the founder of geo.com, and I am also the host of the show. And in this episode, I'm talking to Daniel Rama. He shared the biggest mistakes he made when starting out as a yoga teacher online. He also showed me the two very simple tactics that helped him grow his IG to over a quarter million followers. And he told me his four-step hack to creating content faster and easier And he also shared with me Rama's rules, which is the one principle that Rama has been following since day one, which allowed him to go from eating peanut butter sandwiches daily to making six figures and traveling the world. So I hope you enjoy this episode of Making It. All right, everyone. So today we are talking to Daniel Rama, who is a very successful yoga and movement coach. I think that's how you describe yourself, right? I would say so. Yep. And uh, yeah, so Rama is super successful on Instagram with a quarter million followers there. And he also runs Becoming Balance, which is an online yoga and movement platform, which is Badass. And also he travels the world doing yoga teacher trainings and all sorts of yoga teaching and movement teaching. I know firsthand your practice is completely next level. Inversions, flexibility feats are completely off the charts. And Rama is overall a badass human being, humble AF and just a great dude. And so I thought I'd bring him in and talk to him about his business, especially about how he grew his audience, maybe some Instagram tactics, social media tactics. I also want to talk to you about content creation. You're a killer content creator. We actually have also had the honor to work together for the past year on a couple of things. So I've seen you create content at rapid speeds in high quality. So I'll be super curious to hear a little bit about what that process looks like for you. And then let's see what else we get into. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy, for having me. Appreciate it. All right. So. I want to first maybe give you the chance to tell everyone a little bit about yourself, like maybe a brief origin story, how you got into this whole yoga and movement thing. I suppose it
0: starts similar to a lot of origin stories that you might find these days, especially within the yoga industry, where I began with an understanding or a knowing that I was suffering tremendously, that my life was not exactly as I wanted it to be. So it started with suffering. And then something happened to me, it was an injury that essentially destroyed my life as it was. And the injury that I'd sustained was one that doctors told me I would never be able to recover from fully, which would essentially steal my ability to run. And at the time I was studying to become a personal trainer. So this is very hard news for a young person to hear. But after an initial period of darkness and depression, I started to seek something more. And I found yoga and within a year I was able to heal from that injury and
1: I just became completely hooked on the whole process. What was the point where you decided to make that your, because it's one thing to practice, right, and heal, the other thing is suddenly you're, right now, you're in a place where this is what you do, right? You do this for a living. When did that change happen?
0: Yeah, becoming a personal trainer was something I was pursuing as an interest. In university, I was able to find that the act of Helping other people either develop better form with their back squats or whatever it might be, that made me feel really good. I started to notice that I was happiest when I was helping someone else. So I think I had that idea of service as what I wanted to do.
1: That was my ground zero. And how did the transition, or maybe it was also already built into your life social media, there must have been like some, some point where you're like, okay, I'm going to go more heavy on, 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 on the digital stuff. Yeah, I guess there's two things on that. First would be that Instagram started as
0: a practice journal. I had no intention of growing it or using it as a means for achieving my ends, my purpose. It started out just sharing bits and pieces of my practice and slowly people seeing that became more curious and would invite me to go teach in their studios. Second thing is that I recognized that the things which were most healing and holistic for me personally were practices like pranayama, mindfulness, pretty much all of the boring stuff, all of the basic crap that people don't care about on Instagram, unfortunately. And I wanted to share that stuff and I still do, but you need a hook. You need some way of captivating attention. And so I saw that people loved handstands and all of these flashy, advanced physical practices. So that was an invitation for me to start to develop a solid handstand practice and that sort of thing, which led to more exposure like this. But again, Instagram didn't start out for me as a place where I was looking for exposure. It was just quite simply a way for me to share what I'm doing and maybe find a few friends, maybe connect a little bit more with this large international community. It's definitely got its pros and cons Instagram, but I can't tear it to pieces too much because it has created so much abundance in my life. The, the v- vast majority of physical programs, online programs, people hear about them through Instagram.
1: So I got to sort of show some gratitude for this little app. This is something I hear a lot that that people start using it as a practice journal, yoga teachers, fitness trainers, coaches to just document their progress. The other thing is the vanity aspect of you don't want to appear vain. You don't want to appear as a show off. And I think this is something that a lot of people that are serious about their craft struggle with because it tends to simplify you as a person and everything that's behind you down to some awesome looking photos, right? So I want to get a little bit more tactical now. I want to get a bit more tactical now because I think this is something that that people are very interested in. I can't wait to uncover some gold nuggets here. So your strongest channel right now is Instagram, though I also know that you have a strong email list. But let's start with Instagram. You're at 250,000 followers right now. What do you think has been the reason for that growth? Was there a Point that sparked it or a situation, or what do you think? What's your interpretation?
0: Uh, I laugh no because idea. I think recently there is a. No, there's a couple of things that I'm giggling because recently there's a video I shared that was, for lack of a better phrase, a bit bulgy and it got like 2 million views and I jumped 30,000 followers in a couple of weeks. So that helps. Wasn't my intention when I crafted the video. With regards to Instagram, and this is actually Whoa, a wait, module. Wait, wait. And-
1: What a tease, man. What was, are you going to talk about the video now or later? Because obviously we want to know what that was. It's the Supine Dragon Circle video. So it's like a movement challenge. It was
0: not intended to be any sort of sexual in any way, shape, or form, but I was just wearing tight shorts and it was a little bit bulgy and people just went off on it. If you're ever feeling just down or something about life, life or you need a quick laugh, go to that video and just read through the comments. It is.
1: Hilarious. I'm going to play that video and put it on the screen right now for everyone to be seeing (laughs) it. Uh, I guess we're looking at a bulge now. I can't see it. But
0: that video also, it allows us grounds to talk about a whole bunch of different things that happen on Instagram. Like one of the reasons why that video became so viral is a lot of big accounts started to stitch it or remix it and their audience would see and go to my page. The number of shares that thing got was like 50,000. So 50,000 people are just sending it out to their entire audience. If you can get a piece of content to go viral, that is probably the quickest way to grow in the shortest amount of time. But there are so many other tools that you can implement, stuff like hashtag trolling or location trolling, where you just find a hashtag that's relevant to your niche, go to it
1: and just like every single piece of content in there. Then, so, dude, so I want to add something though, because the way that the this conversation started just now, it sounds like the Bulge video had something to do with your growth. But when I met you or when we started to to collaborate or work together, that the Bulge video didn't exist yet and you had already re- reached like substantial Instagram following. So what you were just talking about, the hashtag trolling, this is something that, that you used to do a lot in the early days? Exactly. In the early days. and. You can go too far and get like shadow
0: banned, as the algorithm is looking for robotic behavior, which that would be. But it is a good way if you have very few followers. Maybe you're not sharing the most engaging content. It is a good way to at least put your name in front of other people.
1: And again, we're just talking about tools. So there are so many other ways, like collaborations. Can you explain that again, though. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, man. What, yeah, yeah. So, so how, does how does it work? How does it work?
0: Let's use yoga. So I would say yoga poses is the hashtag. And you'd want to try to find a hashtag that's less than a million posts. If you have ones like just yoga, for example, with a couple billion or something like that, then you're not really going to find actual human accounts. You're going to find just a whole whole bunch of nonsense that doesn't really relate to you and won't actually generate any sort of lead. But if you find hashtags that have less than 1 million, so we'll say yoga poses, go to it tap on recent, and then just start double tapping every single piece of content in that category, in that hashtag. So you're liking all of it. Liking all of it. Yeah. And if there's things that you see that you really, you can comment on them as well. And that kind of counts for more. Somebody sees a nice comment coming from you. They're curious about you. They want to follow you. To say it a different way, in a nutshell, the algorithm, as well as just the platform in general. It's just looking for real human interactions. So if you find ways to actually interact with other creators, other humans, practitioners, whatever it might be through Instagram, you will start to generate more interactions, more of a following. This hashtag trolling is one way. Reshare pages is another way. Just having like reasonably aesthetic content is another thing, but you also have to understand that the environment of Instagram is constantly changing. And so if we flash back maybe five to seven years, super flashy, like inspirational, advanced handstand things were doing really well. Just a photo of me doing a hollow back would blow up. Right now, if I was to share that photo, it would not do as well as, say, a piece of educational content. So you also have to understand how these platforms are changing. And for that, you either just have to be in them Or I have also a couple of different YouTubers that I follow that are constantly sharing things about algorithm updates, what's going to be trending in the next year kind of thing. So just involving yourself with that platform as much as possible, but at the same time, being mindful not to give too much. This is a good stat for me not to get off tangent, but if you look at my screen time, I have about 45 minutes on Instagram average each day. So it's not a lot of time. Wow. You just have to be very specific with what you are doing. So like I'm not aimlessly scrolling. I go in, I drop some love bombs just like through my newsfeed, drop some comments on people's stuff,
1: respond to DMs, that sort of thing. But I don't get lost in the app. So there are two really interesting things that I'm taking from this that I observe from what you were just talking about. So having methods to actually grow and to actually create engagement like what you said about the tactics that you mentioned in combination with doing real human interaction and engagement sounds like things that that are working hey just a quick note if you're any type of fitness yoga or movement teacher and you're trying to grow your audience then go to do.com formula to get the exact system that we use to grow du.com to over a million members and we actually use this system to help many teachers and coaches like you it's totally free and perfectly tailored to fitness yoga and movement teachers so just hit pause here you can get it at du.com slash formula and it takes like 10 seconds okay cool back to the show you said something about share pages what's that yeah so let's use again yoga as the example there would be a
0: page just called yoga or yoga feature yoga gallery yoga inspiration there's a whole bunch of different pages that aren't one person but rather develop their following by simply resharing other relevant pieces of content. So if you are looking to find way into these resharing pages, there are a couple of different things you can do. One and two being tagging in the photos and in the captions. Three being sending these reshare pages a direct message, be like, hey, you guys have rights to use this image on your site. You can just not even say anything. But I used to have a little template that I would basically just copy and paste to a whole bunch of these different reshare pages with whichever photo I felt represented me best at that time. And maybe they do nothing with it. Maybe they share it. And then me as somebody way back then that had maybe 20K or something like that. Now I'm in front of the eye of a 300,000 strong audience. And
1: from that, you grow quite a lot. So this is resharing pages. I can double down on that because with doyou.com, at do.com our IG page for do you. We also almost exclusively did resharing. And what you have to imagine is that behind these pages, there are social media managers or interns, and they are looking for stuff to reshare. Obviously, they want to have stuff that is appealing, but it definitely helps to get in front of them. And it helps to do it in bulk. So if you contact one page and then you're bummed because, oh no, they're not resharing my stuff, No, you need to go at 50x in order to actually get visibility. So you have these social media managers that want to share stuff, but they also get a lot of messages, but some of them will go through. So it's just about the volume, right? And it doesn't sound very appealing or sexy to have to do that, but that is definitely one way because then what happens is you appear on a page that has a couple of hundred thousand or millions of followers, you get tagged, and then people real people look at your picture and they're like, hey, this person, I resonate with them for some reason. They look at your page. That's how you get followers and an engagement. So that is definitely something that that works. I think that for anybody looking to get into this as well, stay away from sexy for
0: now. Nothing that mm. you first start out is really going to be or feel sexy. It's going to take a lot of gritty work to actually start to develop and that's whether we're talking about instagram or getting good at handstands or developing your own business like whatever it
1: might be you got to be happy with shit work at the start but i think one thing you also have to mention if you agree with me what you get back is rewarding it feels rewarding to see things work and one thing to, to grow your business to grow your following stuff yeah yeah that's cool But then you start to see comments, you start to see engagement and people that really resonate with you. There's a case to be made for what you get back. And it's not about, it could be, but I don't think at the end of the day, it's about like you just getting people to suck up to you or you craving the attention or something. But there is interaction happening. And without that, I don't think. I, I, could, I can imagine that most people would, wouldn't even do this stuff. Create online with, without any mm. getting anything back is it's almost impossible, I feel like. I think that's pretty accurate and fair to say. I get all sorts of love from
0: the work that we do online to physical programs to extremely, slightly mind-bending things where people as severe as not taking their own life from something that I might be sharing online. And that's heavy, man. Like to hear that your work impacts somebody's life in that deep and profound a way, you really only have one choice at that point is to keep going, to keep doing what you're doing. And this is, again, circling back to forgetting about likes and dislikes, but just doing the things that you need to do and it's a beautiful bonus when you get that recognition. And it does come regardless of where you're at with numbers and following and all this nonsense. If you have some sort of value to add, people are always going,
1: to thank you for it. And it's just the icing on the cake. Let's change gears here. I have a question that I love, which is what is the biggest mistake that you think you made early on? The biggest thing, maybe the first thing that, that comes to mind. The biggest mistake you made. Cool. So to get specific, it is small, but I would say starting, I worked with so many
0: people on a one-to-one basis. I wish that I took more before photos, just like of their journey starting out. Honestly, that's probably the number one thing. And along the same vein is just saving content from old retreats and the hard drive, which I do now. But I wish I had this stuff for me teaching in like Surabaya, Indonesia, Like long ago, it was my first international program. I don't have any of that stuff. So anybody Mm -hmm. in there who's starting, save all your content in an organized fashion, somewhere that you can access it later, because you really never know what you might
1: need with regards to online work. That is such a freaking gold nugget, man. Two things in there. One is to document your own progress journey, stuff that you do and document the progress and journey of people that you teach, that is so powerful because it doesn't, on one side, it helps you and them in their progress because it's very good to look back at where you were, let's say a couple of months or a year ago to just get a better feeling of your progress. So on a personal level and personal development level, I think it's super important as a teacher, but from a marketing standpoint, I'm a marketer, right? So when I, when we work with creators, influencers and so on, one of the first things we do is we ask them for testimonials and before and after photos, if that's possible. For example, in a flexibility program, right? There's no stronger argument for a program than saying, Hey, look, this person couldn't do the splits. Now they can do the splits. Right. And this doesn't have to be some BS marketing crap, right? You can legit make these like document that progress because it's real, right? Obviously, depending on what you teach, it might not always be visually representable, but collecting testimonials, right? So for example, when we work with you, one of the first things that we do is we actually ask your audience for video testimonials. And this stuff is super important and powerful in your marketing because it's real, right? And people can, they can smell bullshit quite quickly. So hearing it from someone else is as close as it gets to like a friend recommending you, right? If someone else who's been through it and gives a real testimonial, like you can tell, right? You can totally tell when someone talks about Rama and what, the, and how he's changed their life or something, if it's real or not. I will say that in the
0: act of creating before photos, it came across for me in the beginning as almost a hassle for my clients. This was just my perception of it long ago. That is a record that will be very valuable for that client to look back on later. So. I would never even say that this is going to be used as a before and after photo. You don't need to talk about this kind of marketing stuff. You do need to get permission at some point if you're going to use it, but you just, you have a new client and you say like, today, we're going to check in with a few different types of flexibility. If that's the focus, we're going to take a couple photos so that we have a reference point for checking in with later on down the road. So it's not for me as the trainer, it's for you as the client to actually see some improvements. So there are ways that you can go about getting those things that feel organic and authentic
1: and actually valuable for the client as well. All right. So we just talked about the biggest mistake, absolute gold nugget, man. Thank you for sharing this. This is pure gold. How about the one thing that you think you did right? Yeah, I
0: got you. The main thing that stands out for me is to be simple in so many different aspects. I first started an online studio with an iPhone 6 and no kind of extra lighting or audio equipment. You don't really need to get super complex with your equipment. Like right now, I'm using a Sony a6400. There's other little mics and stuff plugged in. You need a nice tripod, but you don't need any of that if you're just starting out. And in many ways, it overcomplicates the process for you, especially if you start to dive into post-production. Keep it simple. I buy as many different things as
1: possible, and you, just, you don't have to work as hard. For content production, I couldn't agree more. Like case in point for this podcast production, I have a I have a super high-end DSLR standing right there in front of me, and I tested that DSLR versus my computer camera, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to use a computer camera. It's like I'm not even using the DSLR. I have this mic, which is cool, but like you're not using a mic, you're using your laptop mic, right? And it's perfect. So... the most important thing is to put stuff out when it comes to creating things. And when it comes to wanting to make an impact online, growing an audience and stuff like that, just use your phone. Don't get too fancy, focus on the things that matter. And it's going to be shitty in the beginning. It's going to suck because we all suck, right? Especially when we haven't done anything. So the only way to get better is to put something out, look at it, get feedback. And then the next, like the next version of what you put out is already going to be three times better after that, another three times, right? It becomes exponential, exponential. So I would say that something that you, this is just an observation. I don't think you're shy to put stuff out. Like when we do projects together, Like you're just like, all right, cool, boom. And then you put it out and that's it. And you just do it. And this like doing mentality of just putting it out, obviously you're experienced with it now, right? Like it's not a fully fair comparison, but to just not ponder too much, but just put it out, amen right there. Yeah. You're actually making me think of what I call Rama's rules. Rama's rules are
0: one, be simple two, add value and three, do it now. And that's like how I approach content in some way. It should be simple. It shouldn't take so long to film and to edit. It should add value, which again, the online territory is constantly changing where it's no longer about just fancy inspiration. People wanna learn and get better either through you sharing authentic stories of your life or adding little tidbits of information on your specific niche and then do it now. Just go wait, just go do it now. These are the things. There've been a couple people that I coach lightly with social media and they've seen a massive uptake with just like these three simple rules. And there's also a ratio where I have, it's 14 to four to two, and that's for education, inspiration, and about me, 14, four, two. So basically that's like a present day experience or G that I have with Instagram specifically. Because again, it's always changing, but Rama's rules, this little ratio, these things are quite valuable, I think, for people that are just starting out. And again, like I've seen a massive uptick in people that just forget about how something looks. It's not going to be perfect. It doesn't need to be
1: perfect. Simple, value, do it now. It's really helpful for a lot of people. Can you tell us about the ratio again? What, is, what are each of these? Yeah, so
0: 14 14 parts, education. The bulk, if you look at my Instagram page present day, it's pretty much all tutorials on something within the realm of yoga movement and mindfulness. So the four, the inspirational bit, that's like really flashy, fancy things that not many people can do. They're really within my wheelhouse and they tend to go a little bit more viral on social media. So they bring people into the channel. And then once they're there, they see there's all this educational stuff And they're left with this impression that, okay, this guy is doing this crazy shit. If I follow these things that he's telling me to do, then maybe I can do some of that crazy shit down the road. And then the last part too, about me, is just to let people know that I'm also entirely human, which even me, I idolized people on social media when I had a really tiny following, people like Dylan Warner, Patrick Beach, Fit Queen Irene, like just within the yoga niche. And then I met all of these people and it's like, oh, like they're all just like normal humans and everything. And adding a little tiny bit about you is extremely important, but at least in my experience, it shouldn't be like the bulk of your content present day. And this is just like my ratio. It's just what works for me. But I will say that I'm somewhat smart about the about me bits. Like Instagram has features like pinning, so I pin my story to the top of my profile. So... People can watch that first and foremost, if they're curious to know a bit more about me, they can hear about the injury, about my recovery, going to the ashram and finding this life where I'm dedicating myself to service. So that ratio for me is a really good balance of bringing in new audience members, giving them enough value so that they can stay. And then also just sharing a tiny little bit about myself so that they experience some resonance with me, which will only yield a better transmission of information essentially that's the ratio
1: that is so much good stuff in there let me pick up on on some of that stuff yeah one thing i think that people have to understand that are creators is there's a big difference between you as a person being a creator as a real human being versus a brand publishing content online and the difference is that people can relate with you and your story and your background and everything that you've been through and your philosophy mm-hmm. and your edges but they cannot relate with a brand like it's just not going to happen which is also why brands work with creators to promote their shit right because they're the only ones like creators are the only ones who can create connections brands cannot do that and the difference is you're not a you are a brand your personal brand but you're not a company you're not a faceless corporate nothing right and that is your massive like competitive advantage um so i love that man thanks for sharing that what do you think or how do you make sure and this is i think a concern that a lot of people have that don't start out or that are intimidated or feel like they're not worthy or good enough or whatever what do you think is that thing that 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 makes you stand out in the crowd? Yeah, so I don't know how relevant this will be to everyone
0: else, but for myself specifically, what makes me stand out, at least within my industry, is the fact that I have an authentic experience of yoga, particularly talking about prana, moving through nadis and energy centers and all of this stuff. So that's the authentic side, but then married with an understanding of anatomy and physiology in such a way where you can talk to speak to hand, headstand, handstand, intelligent backbending in such a way that beginners start to identify their weaknesses. What part of my body do I actually need to work on to get better at this? That's something that the really authentic community, the really authentic yoga community is typically lacking this physical understanding. And then the people with a beautiful physical understanding are typically lacking that authentic side. So for me, the thing that has set me apart is the fusion of the two. And again, I don't know how relevant that is to a lot of people listening to this, but you need to find a way to set yourself apart with balance between new and old, depending on your industry, like what it is that you're into. For me, I would say that's the main thing that allowed me to stand out. And I also have a great aesthetic you got all these tattoos and painted nails and people enjoy that for sure yeah which this just started as a thing so i don't bite them anymore but turned out that i really like having my nails painted also (laughs) so i've got like the image which works well with instagram also but that's not really a thing that i would encourage people towards like just be
1: yourself i'm just being me i like to be funny and goofy and all this kind of stuff so this is a really interesting point man to because It is like adding layers to what you teach or your approach and your angle is extremely helpful because it also helps you tap into different communities, right? So you resonate with the yoga community because you're a pretty spiritual guy, right, if I can say that, but you also resonate with these like ultra technical movers and even like acrobatics and stuff like that. So there are all these like sub communities that you appeal to, and you bring them together, which gives you, which gives you access to huge amounts of people, which is very cool, because you also cross inspire them into different fields, right? Like Somebody who's, oh, no, it's only yoga, you will then be like, hey, look, like anatomy and the spine and whatever it is to be a little bit more scientific about movement and all of that is massively beneficial, right? The nice thing about that is as far as I'm concerned,
0: the two polarities are saying the exact same things through slightly different language. If you go to, let's use Edo Portal, he's a world famous mover, like purely on the level of physicality. I take so much inspiration from this guy and his community. And the nice thing is that the capacity that these movers have for stillness is tremendous. If you get really good at something physical, I studied with a lot of circus performers, athletes, anybody who's really good at something physical is naturally a little bit meditative. And it is a bonus that, as you said, I get to show people little pieces of either side for me. That's cool. I
1: was actually really surprised when I met you in Shakti. I asked you about who the people are that you guys follow, and they were not yoga teachers. It was like guys like Ido Portal, who is not a yogi, epic movement specialist. I don't even know what to call that and others. And I think like keeping an open mind and incorporating that these things into your into your I don't know, ideology or education or whatever you want to call it, is something that helps actually in all levels in life, I think. 100%. Like,
0: I I learned so much from ballerinas also. Like, anybody in dance, there are so many different things and areas that we can learn from and pull some of these practices into whatever it is that we do. Especially in the yoga community, this has been something that people have struggled with. But I think that this. Something really beautiful about marrying all of these different lineages together, picking the pieces that resonate most highly with you. I think that for anybody listening to this, just constant learning and unbiased learning from as many Mm -hmm. different sources as possible will be super, super beneficial for you. And with that, you do also have to have the ability to leave things that you don't want to take with you anymore. This is something I had to learn quite often staying in the ashram where I did, because some of the things that they do, I'm going to leave that with you guys, but thank you so much for giving me a little exposure to that.
1: (laughs) That's good. That's good. Yeah. Facts, man. Yeah. I just remembered something that that you mentioned earlier. You were talking about your, like your visual appearance and how that is impacting your IG or your social kind of like uh, growth. So people might say, oh, but he has so many tattoos and does these crazy hollow backs and that's why he's killing it. But creators, they come from all different ranges. Rama, we have like people like Livin' Leggings or David Robson, they all have different styles and they all are completely like unique and you can make a case for any of them to be, they're just totally different to you, right? It doesn't, you don't have to be flashy. But one thing that they all do is they educate. If you look at the type of content that they produce, right, it's all about providing value. And I'm sure t- on, on some level, they follow that, that formula that you mentioned in some way or another as well, right? Yeah, I agree. And uh,
0: those three that you mentioned, or those two that you mentioned, great individuals as well. Everybody has some sort of unique skill set and also some specific niche, some specific population that you can really do some good with. And yeah, you got tattoos hollowbacks, all of these things, that's just working well with my community. There are some communities that doesn't jive with. So these are all just like pros and cons. And we just have to work with what it is that we have. And at least for me, there's also a big level of not compromising who you are for social media. I think that's probably a little skewed male to female just because of wearing bikinis or like these kinds of things. It used to be something that was really driving engagement. And now like the algorithm Mm -hmm. is flagging things like that basically where it will be shown to a smaller audience so it's nice because now the algorithm is saying that you regardless of what you don't really need to compromise on who you are just be yourself
1: be simple add some value do it now facts
0: 100 yeah. percent.
1: i love that let's talk about content creation so cool. like i said earlier like you are a production machine, a productivity machine. But I think part of that is also that you're very efficient. So let's talk a little bit about your content creation process for social media, for Becoming Balanced Studio, which is your online platform. First off, how do you choose topics? And maybe we can also, if you want to layer it, like from, we probably cover different topics in, on social media, IG, for example, than you do on, on, on your studio. Yeah, the topics are relatively similar between the two. And sometimes
0: I'll use one particular video or piece of content and tailor that for multiple platforms. So there could be a video that I shoot for the Becoming Balance Studio. And I cut pieces of that for Instagram. Maybe some stuff goes on TikTok, maybe something that's more old folk centric for Facebook, whatever. But yeah, if we, the question was, how do I decide my topics? Yep. Okay, cool. So that is primarily based on what I'm actually doing or learning in the moment. So it's a lot of the things that I'm sharing about are things that I'm working on, be it flexibility, new inversions or handstand skills. I'm sharing things that are working well with me. Yeah, and usually I have a note, if I just pull it up, that's got a whole bunch of different topics. Like I usually batch my content so a whole bunch of different topics that range from physical things, focus on handstands, backbends, whatever, to flexibility-focused things. All of those ratios, mostly educational, some inspirational, if there's like a cool movement that I want to do. But I either use my notes, just Apple Notes, or Trello to keep track of every little topic that I have. And it works like once I get to a certain number of ideas for a specific theme, then I'll just batch a whole bunch of content really quickly. So one day I'll film everything, the next day I'll edit everything. And doing it like this, I, in one day, because I was going to leave my house to go teach a yoga teacher training in Thailand, and then I was in Egypt, in Utah, and I was bouncing around, I didn't want to film. So in one day, I created all the videos that I would need for the next five weeks. And Then that's basically, I don't need to film anything if I don't want to. And it's just all personal enjoyment. So topics, they just float into my sphere. So like an idea pops into my head, I'll either write it down in my little journal or I'll put it in my iPhone under the notes section. And then later on, when I get home, I'll expand on that idea, put it into my little Trello dashboard. And this is usually how different topics start to come to the surface. I would say.
1: All right, cool. So this is, I think anyone who is struggling with creating content should get a pen and a paper because I think this process is, it depends obviously on person to person, but this is something that will help you be more productive without having to overthink and procrastinate too much. So Mm. step one is to collect ideas like in everyday life. So whatever comes down, just jot it down and have a place where you put those ideas down without them being to- too fleshed out. But it's something that you can go back to once you read it, you're like, ah, oh, okay, I get it. And then you can also bundle the ideas as you add more. The second one is to do bulk production. So instead of shooting one video every day or every week, do once a month and just spend the whole day it's so much more efficient right like you have one day you can create so much content in one day you don't have to set up the camera a million times iphone or whatever it is as simple as possible obviously and then the third one is to repurpose those three things are huge collect your ideas in everyday life do bulk production once a month so that you don't have to worry about it and then three is to repurpose your content for different platforms which i think people don't understand how much you can repurpose, how you can take bits out of video. Like this podcast, for example, we're going to repurpose the shit out of this. We're going to create TikToks from it, Reels, because there there are so many nuggets in here, right? And, and so that's what I hear from a lot of creators that this is, that's exactly how they do it. And that's also how I do it as well. Yeah. And you can add a fourth to that as well, which would be
0: reuse. Like this is a big thing that a lot of Uh, content creators don't make use of. You share a video like three years ago that did really well. Just share the exact same video. Maybe change the song if you have to, or you get in some way, shape or form. So just reusing various videos for me has been a nice way to do no extra work and still add value. There's a lot of people who either haven't seen that video or they just are not going to remember it anyways. So don't be afraid to just reshare something that you've done in the past.
1: Yeah, it's also a lot of with the algorithms of the various networks, there's also a luck component or call it whatever, right? Like algorithm picking it up or not picking it up. So it's a waste to just waste your content. And, and, oh, this one only got 12 views. So whatever, I guess it sucks. Like I've heard that before. I've actually personally not done it, but I have heard that from like several creators that they sometimes post something three or four times, not in a short amount of time, but like to just give it a chance to surface again, that can definitely make a difference. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And if I can talk again about
0: the videos that I've had go viral, they're not like, I wouldn't have bet on them basically. So even if things you don't think are going to perform for whatever reason, be it the time of day, or there's so many different variables that these platforms take into consideration just the most simple yoga flow on tiktok went viral for me and that gave me like a new audience which i just opened the app basically uploaded this one video and had 10k in a couple weeks
1: but yeah you never know what's
0: going to do really well so just get it out there
1: and i think the only thing or one of the things you do need to understand though is to adapt to the platform like tiktok Mm. is tiktok right so the video that you put on tiktok is in a TikTok format, optimized for the type of content or video that people would share there, right? This one was actually just reshared from Instagram. Like an Instagram Reel? Yeah, it was an Instagram
0: Reel mm-hmm. that I just used. What is it? Snip. App. It's just a website. You drop the Instagram URL and then you can save it without any watermarks. So I just saved a video of mine from Instagram, dropped it into TikTok. Didn't change anything
1: and it did really well. Okay. So let me jump on that. So what are some tools that you use to do stuff like that? So you just mentioned Snip Talk, which yeah, is a way for you to see. repurpose or basically post something from Instagram straight to TikTok, right? Oh, that yeah. is Sna- this kind snap of thing. Snap Insta dot app or Snap TikTok dot app. It's just a website okay. where you can
0: download any video without watermarks.
1: Are there any other tools that you use for this particular thing of like content production or content sharing and distribution to the different networks? Dear God, yeah, there's many tools. If we keep it just limited to apps,
0: I think that the captions app is pretty good for iPhones. I don't know if they have it on Android, but you can just take any video, any talking video, upload it. It'll automatically pull up some captions, which you can change and customize different fonts, different colors. So you can make your talking videos. We'll probably do something like this with this podcast, I would assume is on Instagram. So we that's You use like, Otter AI. Yeah.
1: You use what? Otter AI? Yeah. Okay, cool. But that's yeah, more I mean, of a like advanced production tool. That what was the one that you just mentioned? Captions. I think it's like 14 bucks and it's like a lifetime purchase. It's a pretty good tool. You can also
0: use it as a teleprompter and record like scripts, write yourself a script and then just look in your phone, say what you want to say kind of thing. And it'll again, put some captions. Mm-hmm. Those are a couple of tools that I use on my iPhone, as well as like a plethora of editing stuff, be it like Snapseed, if it's photos, or I have so many different just like video editing things where I typically do, if there's some weird change that I want to do, let's say add snow to a video, then like I'd put that into one app, export it, do a mm. couple things in another one. So it really depends on what your needs are and then whatever your needs are,
1: punch them on into grandpa Google and just start to look into the things that come up. I've been using splice a little bit, which is a video editing app, which is quite cool, but also like TikTok, Instagram, they have decent editing tools or they have, they have ways to enrich the video that is totally sufficient often. Right. And then they do. Yeah. Any other apps that come to mind you want to mention? Just on that note, I was going to
0: about using Instagram's editing software, like their own in-house suite. I don't know if this is a hundred percent true, but utilizing features on Instagram typically leads to better exposure. The app wants you to use what it has to offer. So sometimes I will edit a video and just have absolutely no audio in it, no on-screen captions or anything like that. And then I just plug it into Instagram and do all of that inside the app. And it seems like as I started doing that, there's a pretty good uptick in my engagement. So sometimes using like multiple things, including the actual platform where a piece of content is going to be posted, this is sometimes pretty good, but it does typically increase your time,
1: I guess you could say. Yeah. I think for TikTok, that's also a big deal for them to use because TikTok yeah. is very heavy on having like adding songs, trending songs and like the editing features, they also have caption tool and stuff like that, that can have an impact on your uh, your reach. So we talked about collect ideas just throughout the day, jot them down somewhere, do bulk production, repurpose your content and then reuse your content after some time. You already talked about this a little bit, but maybe if there's anything that you want to add for specific formats, which type of content has been working best for you recently? on social media? Yeah, it would definitely have to be the educational content on, on social media,
0: but things that encompass a little bit of your own flair, like you can go find just any yoga tutorials page and go see their best reels, the reels that perform the best, just look at them for some inspiration, add your own ideas. You can basically recreate something quite similar. In your own language, adding, as I said, your own flair. But in my experience, the educational content on Instagram has been performing best. Again, if you look at my profile recently, it's pretty much all tutorials with a few little fancy things or pieces about me slipped in there, but people want to learn.
1: People want to get better. So we cater to that on social media. What are the main channels that you create content for? Main channel would be
0: Becoming Balanced Studio, first and foremost. Instagram is my main social media. Very small on TikTok. I'll pretty much just pull something from Instagram, drop it into TikTok. I would never really create something in the TikTok theme, whatever. They've got their own thing going on. No dances. Uh, And then, no what? No dances? No. (laughs) I've done a couple like the lip sync things going on there I've oh a couple yeah of those which like they're gonna well, know actually they're gonna know yeah that kind of thing uh-huh i shared one that was like trump's voice not too long ago and a bunch of people were like you got to put a warning on there before i listen <laughs> to that
1: um, <laughs> all right i have to check <laughs> I mean, that whatever.
0: out yeah nope. it's a pretty good one it's like me talking about something within the realm of yoga so it's still relevant to, to my niche but i also post this, uh, some content to youtube like enough to get a couple hundred bucks in AdSense revenue each month. I really put like minimal effort into actually developing a better YouTube. They're primarily videos that are marked as free inside the Becoming Balanced app inside the studio. Ah, I take yeah. that content, reshare it inside YouTube, usually adding like some kind of call to action where it's if you want to learn more, there's more programs inside the Becoming Balanced studio, something like that. So I use it as a way to. Give people some free value, but then also let them know that there's more if they're actually interested in like peeling back a couple more layers of this beautiful onion.
1: Yeah. It's the thing is also like you can spread yourself thin, right? Trying to serve these different channels. I think especially YouTube is a beast on its own. Something super interesting that Live in Leggins did recently. And I only know this because they put a whole video on that process onto YouTube and her boyfriend has a YouTube channel as well. He's a professional YouTube marketer. So they did an experiment where they started her YouTube channel from scratch, I think about a year ago, and she's had a couple hundred thousand subs already. And the reason Mm -hmm. why she did that was that her engagement on Instagram started to drop. And then she basically went all in on YouTube. And I think this is like a it's a super interesting case of someone who built one channel. And then said, okay, the engagement is like going in the direction that I want. And then she changed her focus. I think it's difficult to serve, especially as a like a single entrepreneur to focus on several channels full on. And so since YouTube is its own beast, I think she did a really good job to just be like, okay, you know what, I'll just go all all in on this and optimize and specialize my content from youtube but yeah that's a different story but that's those channels are like super interesting to check out as well for youtube growth and there's a video that i'll link as well on how liv grew her channel on on youtube yeah i'd definitely be curious to check that Mm -hmm. out myself those are these guys are epic and actually they didn't even use her instagram followers so it was kind of a challenge they did like how to grow to like a certain Mm. point without her tapping into her like three or 400,000 Instagram followers. So it's a cool video. Like it's and it's so on point, like to your point of educational content. One thing that I want to make a video about this too, if you look at YouTube and if you look actually specifically at Liv's channel and what kind of content she used to publish when she didn't grow and what she's publishing now, the difference is that she used to do like practice flows like you can practice along with me, that market is completely saturated. What she does that works now is it's purely educational stuff. So she helps people tackle a specific problem. So it's instructional content versus, which is not is, is like just practicing along. So it's not an right. online studio. She has that and she charges for that, which is genius with YouTube, by the way. And she uses YouTube as a way to draw people into pull an audience in and educate them, give them massive value. And if they want more, if they want to practice with her, if they want to have like more in-depth tutorials, trainings, courses, then they can find that on her platform. And it's basically the same what you do too, right? Like you have your Becoming balance Studio platform and your courses, which without plugging ourselves too much is hosted on do.com And it's entirely built for that specific purpose for creators. Who want to do that who want to optimize the offering for providing value and for obviously monetizing their business so let's go to the last part of this episode i want to quickly talk about money and making money and and whatever you're comfortable sharing about that first off right now what is what's your main source of income right now it would be online programs
0: Primarily. Okay. So become, it used to be at some point, the physical stuff, like my yoga teacher trainings were doing really well, and then obviously COVID. And then online was something that I launched prior to the pandemic really being in full swing. So
1: that's the bulk of my income now. This is an interesting one, and I think this is something that a lot of people are curious about. What was the process of you going from nothing, or let's say starting to be a yoga teacher... Professionally to being able to live entirely off of your online income. I suppose this again, for me, I don't know how much it will apply to other
0: people, but with this concept of simplicity being applied so heavily in Mm -hmm. my life, I was actually able to sustain myself with that first studio that I talked about, which I created with my iPhone six. I think I hosted it on a website called PowHow, and that got to the point where I was able to completely cover my living expenses and like this all the peanut ago. butter, all the toast. Yeah. All the peanut butter and toasts, and like plane tickets, this kind of thing, but simple accommodations for sure. So again, it, it depends on how much is going out as well as how much is coming in. But for the most part, if there's not so much going out, then you can actually start to save and ideally invest so that you can make your money start to work for you. There are creative solutions where you can squirrel away like 50 bucks a month into a high interest savings account or something like that. And then you start to develop a little bit of a safety net in such a way where you don't even notice that you're doing it. And fortunately, these are things that I started to do pretty early on. So I was sustaining myself with this little powwow thing, just my iPhone, no extra cameras or gizmos or anything like that. And even at that time, I didn't have a particularly large social media following. So I think like financial freedom for a lot of people seems like a very lofty thing. And granted, it is that way. Like it can feel that way. But at the same time, it's not. It has to do quite heavily with how smart you are and how much you can do away with the frills of life. (laughs) If you can do your way with all the frills, then
1: that freedom comes much quicker. So just to put things into perspective, though, I think we live in a very different time for creators and coaches in this space as compared to 10 years ago. It's not, you don't have to be like a bro yoga teacher anymore. Again, like put this into perspective, Rama just hit the 100k mark just with Do You campaigns this year alone. Obviously, he's further along in that process but the opportunities are there and it's not just like the freak influencer that is that is able to create income like that i think if you do it right and if you start to build an audience start collecting email addresses and if you're smart about your offering and your branding you can be financially independent and live much more comfortably than your average corporate employee, slave, what you want to call it, right? Uh, while yes. at the same time living a fulfilled life, traveling around and doing whatever the hell you want, right? And you don't have to only eat peanut butter sandwiches, unless that's what you You want. don't have to, no. The biggest reward has been what you just said
0: for me, which is deciding my own schedule. If I want to drop off the face of the planet for a month, I can do that. I probably wouldn't, but I can do that if I want to. So not working for anyone else was high on my list as a young man, primarily because I have issues with authority, I think, but I always wanted to be my own boss. And present day, we have so many tools available to us that will allow us to do just that, to be our own boss, decide our own schedule, travel if we want to, stay if we want to,
1: eat peanut butter if we want to. I love it. Yep. Or send videos without wearing pants like you did the other day. I did that as well. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't in frame, so that changes it a bit. I'm actually not wearing pants right now. (laughs) Neither am I. Why would I? Okay. Okay. Yeah. This is an interesting one. So what do you think for you? I guess this might be obvious. I don't know if it is, but what channel do you get the most customers from? Yeah. Get
0: the most customers from would definitely be Instagram. Instagram. At the moment, get customers is different from getting leads because there's usually a couple of steps, a couple of touches in between somebody just seeing you for the first time and then actually becoming a customer. And you can start to warm people up with free things on Instagram and, you know, they start to see more about you, get more curious about you. Eventually, this is for you, Andy, you find a way to get their email address, for example, some sort of simple lead magnet. And then eventually you can put in some sort of actual ask that is, again, still adding real value. But for the most part, customers, I guess you can say, are coming primarily through email marketing as well as through Instagram. But a lot of leads are being generated through social media, but primarily through Instagram, I would say. But at the same time too, run a lot of international programs as well. So there's a ton of word of mouth, which is still the most powerful and free form of marketing available. So there was this cool trajectory for me where I didn't start out having this Becoming Balanced super successful online business. I started by doing a little bit of work on social media, gaining some following, then running a whole plethora of international programs so people could have real experience with me and then share that experience within their community. And like from that, it just, I was able to reach so many more people. So there were like a cu- couple of kind of steps, the social media, Instagram, but I think
1: word of mouth for me was also instrumental in like reaching some customers and clients. Yeah. I want to stress the whole email thing. I just actually pulled up the data from our last campaign. So we had the honor of working on a Black Friday campaign with you and I can see the amount of clicks that you got from social media and email. So I'm not going to like spill all the beans here, but your email list obviously is a lot smaller than the amount of social media followers you have. So seven and a half thousand email addresses. Okay. And 250,000 followers on Instagram. Now, We ran a campaign that is promoted to both Instagram and his email list, your email list, I'm talking to the audience now, not you anymore, apparently. So your email list, and let's see, we had almost 40% of your clicks came from your email list. So you're looking at a quarter million people on social media and seven and a half thousand people on your email list. And. 40% of the clicks came from the email list. Now, Mm. that goes a really long way to say how important it is to actually capture email addresses and your Instagram engagement is good, right? That's not the reason. It's just a fact that when you build any type of social media audience, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, whatever, it's only going to be a fraction of your subscribers, followers that are actually going to see stuff that you put out. So an email address is going to be 50 times or more. We actually did the math on this one. So, like, it's going to be 50 times more valuable for you in order to reach people than a social media follower. So, capture those email addresses. And here's a case in point for how much impact that can have on your income. Yeah. And just about social media, too. Like, I would definitely say there's a distinction between Instagram and
0: YouTube. Instagram people, very short attention spans. Likely they're just there to scroll around a little bit, maybe get some value. YouTube, you'll probably get slightly better if you can cultivate a higher audience, but it does take a lot of work, as we already discussed, with YouTube to really break out in such a way that you start to find some solid numbers. But yeah, your Andy's starting to swing me far more in the direction of email marketing. And I remember a time where like Facebook crashed, Instagram was down. And just for me, it was a wake-up call that you can't really rely on Any one particular platform, especially something that can just die like that, as the means to
1: deriving an income. So capture emails. Yeah, capture emails. We got to capture more of your emails for sure. It's also like these platforms are not sales tools. Instagram is actually not something that should be used definitely should not be primarily used to pitch products, right? You right. can o- occasionally do that, like for Black Friday and the occasional campaign, and it'll work and you'll get traction, right? But at the end of the day, you have Rama's rule, right? It's about providing value, and only if you have done that, if you have went ahead and given value for enough time, then you can start to plug things and. One way to kind of go around that to prevent having to do any promos at all on social media pitching products is to capture leads through a free offer. For example, for you, we did a, a flexibility map, which is like a, it's a we call it a lead magnet. So it's basically a free offer that people can sign up for that gives them some kind of value to learn like a specific skill or reach a specific goal. And they can get access to that by giving their email address. And then they're on your email list. And then you can continue nurturing them with value. We do the four to one rule. So we give value four times. And then we make a pitch for a product. And that way you have direct access to them. You're not, you're not subject, subject to social media algorithms and your luck or changes in how Instagram shows content and stuff like that. And that's crucial. Case in point is really that the numbers that we're just talking about, how the impact of a small email list is like, 50x that of a large social following. I want to, okay, so let's talk about this. What do you tell creators? And I know, especially in the yoga space and the whole like mindfulness space, this is something that people struggle with, is what do you tell creators who have a problem with asking people to pay for their product or who think that they should charge low prices? Yeah, it's a big one for, especially a lot of new yoga teachers or movement coaches, whatever.
0: But I guess I'll answer it with, a personal story, I mentioned that I became fascinated with handstands and their ability to act as a hook, to, to pull people in so that then I could talk more about mindfulness or something like this. And in pursuit of learning how to handstand, it started as a self-guided endeavor. So I was just searching different videos or going through the motions myself, and I wasn't really finding so much growth. Okay. That's what it looks like when we're just trying to teach ourselves through some activity, be it complex or otherwise. But then I decided I would go learn with Miguel Santana. He's this uh, Brazilian guy, raised in New Zealand, Cirque du Soleil performer, like incredible one-arm handstand athlete. And the amount of growth that I had with one week of just training with him. And I paid a full bunch of money to have one-to-one private classes every day for a week where we would train like four hours a day. I left this training with like minor tears in my lats and rhomboids, but the amount of growth that I got in that one week was way more than what I'd managed to do on my own. So the reason that I say this story is I would not be where I am today if I didn't decide to pay someone, to pay some expert, to give me just dense information transmission. Yeah. And for anybody who is teaching something, you listening to this are adding value in some way, shape, or form. You are giving a service that will lead someone to be better off than when you arrived. Yeah. And so anytime that you're adding value to someone's life, they're always going to want to compensate you in some way for that. But I can say it also that anytime I would read like a book on financial well being, I would just replace making money with adding value. Anybody who's teaching something is adding value and provided you can add enough value to enough people you will always earn a living. And for me, it was difficult to feel comfortable asking for money for a yoga class, like a one-to-one yoga class or especially meditation. I feel even this day, like meditation is something that should be for free. But at the end of the day, if you can create an offering that really leaves people better off, A, if you give it away for free, it's saying it took me no effort. This is from the marketing side of things. It took me no effort to create this. I'm just tossing it away for here. Whatever, just have it. And so people are left with this impression like it's not really going to benefit me in the way that I want it to. Whereas if you pay a hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks for the same service, you're like, okay, I work hard. This is a little bit of my earnings. I'm giving it to this individual. They're giving me some value in return. It's a much better exchange. Like, I don't think that free is necessarily always good, especially within the yoga industry, which is perhaps not the way that things were done like traditionally within the realm of yoga, but it's something that your experience, your level of comfort with will grow over time. And For me, like my private classes started out as $50 an hour. And as I started to get more comfortable here, we're like at $300 an hour kind of thing for a private class and people pay that. And like, they're happy to pay that. It's just realizing that you have something to offer and that you deserve to be compensated for that. And as
1: I said, this is something that your level of comfort with grows and grows over and over. I agree with you, even as a marketer, right? Like at the end of the day, you have to provide value and and then you make money with it, right? My goal is to make money. I'm a marketer, but I deal with yoga creators and teachers a lot. So I have this conversation a lot. And obviously online, some people do stuff for free, but something that I do see a lot is like undercharging, just charging ridiculous amounts where I'm just looking at the math. I'm like, dude, like, how are you making money when you charge like 17 bucks for this course, it took you three months to build. So it's also a calculation that you have to make in terms of what do you need to be able to continue to add value and to add more value, right? And for that, you need to sustain yourself and you need to live comfortably, right? Like, why would you make less than someone who's working some office job or something like this? Legit, no reason for that. If anything, you are changing more lives, directly impacting more lives in a more significant way than someone who's pushing papers somewhere at a desk. I'm not trying to shit on someone who's pushing papers, but the direct impact is much more visible when it comes to like teaching someone about their body movement, transformation, and stuff like that. For sure. And yeah, people pay so much to doctors for
0: all sorts of medication when they can just come see me. We'll do a little bit of yoga. You'll feel great. You won't need to go get that medication anymore. You'll save money by spending
1: just... A couple hundred bucks on a private session with me. And your health. It's much more sustainable. Right. This is this thought that I just had that I think also has to do with this whole conversation, which is how to deal with haters. Because I'm sure there are people that after they see a Black Friday campaign on your channels, they're like, what are you doing? You're such a fucking, I don't know what, like how you deal with that.
0: Yeah, so I guess it depends on where the hater is because if the hater is coming through Instagram, I just genuinely express gratitude because Instagram, the algorithm, like I'm on that platform to grow my business. And in order to grow my business, I need all sorts of engagements coming in. And the algorithm's not really screening for haters or lovers. So any comment that you get, any direct message that you get, It's adding to your engagement. It's basically telling the algorithm that this is a piece of content or this is an account that people like speaking with and we should show it to more people. Yeah. So in that sense, a hater is not a hater. A hater is some human being that took time out of their day to engage with your account, to move you in the direction of your purpose online. So this is how I see haters on social media. Yeah. And I would... Nine times out of 10, unless it was something like really nasty, whatever it might be, nine times out of 10, I'll also respond with a genuine comment, usually something that entirely diffuses the situation in four words or more. This is again having to do with algorithmic favor. But I would just say, thanks for sharing your opinion. I really appreciate that. Something along those lines. And then it has this added ripple effect where anyone seeing this hateful comment and then this Just simple, straightforward, seemingly loving response. And they're like, "Whoa, wow, look at the way this guy responded to that hate. I want to learn more from him. So actually treating haters like supporters will yield so much fruit in the online sense. It's obviously different if like spits in your face walking down the street, but at least online, it's still moving you in the direction that you're supposed to go, that you want to go. You want more engagement. So thank you. Thank you so much, haters, for taking time
1: to say something to me today. That's usually the way that I see it on social media. That is awesome. Enough said. That's perfect. Let me ask you, what would you tell other creators or would you tell people in general who are scared or worried about negative feedback? Yeah, I would say it's going to come. Anyways,
0: and if it does come it's usually a sign that you're making some moves. As soon as you start to have a couple of haters, they're usually hating on you for speaking your mind or whatever it might be. So typically having a couple of haters here and there is actually a sign of some semblance of success. So if you just reframe a little bit the way that you look at that hate, which I know that's asking a lot, that's very hard to do. But if you can internally reframe the way that you receive that particular negativity, you can actually see it as a sign of something good. And again, that's hard to do. But in my experience, if you're doing absolutely bupkis, you're not going to get any hate. You're not going to get any haters. But as soon as you start to make some waves, it'll probably come in inevitably. So I, I don't think that there's like a formula for avoiding it altogether, but it's the reframing I think that we need to do.
1: Primarily. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. Love it. Okay, cool. So last question of this episode, if you had to start at zero as a creator, be it in the yoga space or another space right now, what would you do to start your business? Right now, as in January? Like 2023? I mean, yeah. you're not in that situation, but if ever you were in that situation, but yeah, let's assume it's right now, not 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, right now with everything that I know about various platforms, I think that if I was to put my efforts into content creation, that I would like me start with YouTube. Just because of the long format nature, it can be easily broken down, if you want, into smaller short form content for any of the other social medias. So I think that I'd put some of my eggs into that basket, but literally the first and foremost with any endeavor is yourself, first and foremost. So if it was me starting from ground zero, I would do the exact same way as I did initially, where I never wanted to teach. I never wanted to do any of the things that I'm doing right now. All that Mm -hmm. I wanted to do was be happy and healthy. And I just focused on my own personal practice and I think that should always be step one and then what you do from there whether it's this social media that social media some creative way of gathering emails maybe it's more physical programs staying stationary in a local studio no idea but the basis should always be personal practice Okay. So apart from that, where do, where can people find you online? I always respond to Instagram direct messages. I know a lot of large accounts don't typically do that, but I stay very organized. I check in with that in a very systematic fashion. So Instagram is a good spot. Email info at is my personal email. You can find that on my Instagram also. And yeah, sometimes I give out my personal phone number. You can ask for it. <laughs>
1: Hey, if you enjoyed this episode and want more, make sure to subscribe. And if you don't know where, just go to do.com/slash podcast. Appreciate you. All right. Rama, man, thank you so much for your time. This was a really, really insightful conversation. I love having these conversations because it adds a different layer to like getting to know you as well. Many of these questions I wouldn't ask if we're just like there having a uh, Regular meeting. Well, yeah. Well, I was going to say having a gin tonic, but yeah, that too. Uh, but yeah, man, thank you so much for your time. And I am sure I'll see you around and speak to you soon. Everyone out there, thank you all for your time as well. I hope you got tons of value out of this. We are sharing this stuff because we want you to... Not struggle, not be broke, but make the best out of everything that you have to share. Yeah, so many things, your gold nuggets that Rama shared. Believe in yourself and know that you have a lot of value to offer. And I think the best way to close this episode is with Rama's rule, which is... Be simple, add value, and do it now.
0: Peace. Rama's
1: worlds.